On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. You need to be secure. Temporarily, what you're doing might be working okay, but long term, what security measures are you making with your home network? Working from home has exposed cybersecurity issues. We'll talk about some of them. What does a hands-on learning program do when in-person learning is prohibited? And we'll meet a family-owned business that has evolved with technology. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of May 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. In order to flatten the curve of the pandemic, many folks have been working from home the last couple of months. We've talked before about setting up a proper work atmosphere at home. The central tool for that, of course, is a computer, which sounds simple, but as many have learned, it's far more complicated than we might think. Chuck Rowe and Jim Allen are with ACES, which provides managed IT services for small businesses across Iowa through offices in Cedar Falls and Des Moines. During a conversation through Zoom this past Thursday, I asked Chuck Rowe what their clients have been concerned about most during this new work-from-home period. The two things people are concerned about the most um, when we get our calls from our clients right now is, one, what's our security look like? You know, we have people that aren't in the office anymore. We have people that are working from home, that are working on their home networks. And what are they bringing onto their computers? What are they bringing onto their computers that might get into our our, uh, work network now? The second thing is, we can't have anyone working in the office right now. And now we're bringing their computers home. How do we set them up securely? We have some folks that they don't have laptops. They all have, you know, desktops. And like, okay, we need to have them work from home. What do we do now? Do we let them use their home computer? Or do we have to get them a laptop now? Or So so some of it is, is the security part. But other parts of it is just the fact that you have these people that have never worked at home before that all of a sudden they need to figure out how to work from home. And that's an excellent point, Jim, as I think about it. If I've got a nice desktop and it's very stationary, it was never designed to be taken somewhere. And now all of a sudden you tell me I've got to abandon that device or I suppose pack it up and haul it home. But again, I've got to connect to something. What are some of the issues? And I know we hear phrases like VNC, VPN. There are all sorts of acronyms. I am sure you've had people who just had no idea how complicated it was because the concept of hashtag WFH is great until you try to put it into practice. A lot of our customers have said you can take your equipment home and then, you know, the challenges we find, and this is going to get a little techie, is that their home network conflicts with the office network. And so we've got to work around things like that. The next thing that happens is the first part you alluded to which is, okay, so the user has a computer at home, uh, they're comfortable with that computer at home, but now how do we get them securely connected to their PC at at work? Now, there's a couple of ways to do that. We can do that through a VPN, virtual private network. However, there's the potential that if their home machine has a virus, that that virus might be able to traverse the VPN. So is that really the best secure option? The next thing that we've done for our customers is we've said, hey, look, we will sell you on a month-to-month basis antivirus and some monitoring on that home user's PC 
so that you can be assured and we can be assured that that machine isn't going to be bringing any bad things into your network. So this is the kind of things that we've added to help support those home users during these or remote users during these times. It's, it's always nice and easy to spend money that doesn't belong to you, say, right? So right. when you're at your business where you get 3 billion trillion of a quadrillion uh, megabytes per second, you know, for your download speeds, but now all of a sudden you're at home where you're too cheap and you get like, you know, dial up modem, <laughs> you know? And so then people wonder, how come my speed, how come my computer is so slow? And that's always the blame. Like, why is my computer so slow? Well, it might not be your computer. Uh, sometimes your internet speed is so slow, it can't handle what you're used to doing at work. What are some of the biggest challenges, Jim, with regard to cybersecurity? And I've just used a very broad name. What are some of the great challenges that a business should consider with regard to, quote unquote, cybersecurity? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is intellectual property of the company. If you're going to allow a home user on their personal computer to map a network drive or connect to the company share to access the files that they work on every day, we need mechanisms in place to make sure that they're not pulling that file back across the network, copying extra files that maybe they don't need back across through that VPN. You know, the other way around that is, okay, let's not let them actually connect to the drives and shares, but let's limit them so that they can only remotely control their computer. That's a good way to kind of slow that personal home PC from getting too much of a footprint inside the work network. So there's those things. There's always the temptation because, you know, your remote session might have issues to access company websites, the websites that you use throughout the day at your work from your personal computer to just get the work done because, hey, it somehow seems quicker, normal, better, natural to do it that way. Now, again, we have that computer that's not going through the corporate firewall, not necessarily bound by the corporate rules, accessing a business website and, again, accessing intellectual property. So there's a loss of control that can happen. There's a dozen ways to mitigate that, but the problem is we need to trust our end users and and then try to guide them using the right tools so that not only we're protecting ourselves, but we're protecting them from any inadvertent damage. I dare say, Chuck, that the focus has been on this because it was unexpected. You had clients who no doubt had good systems in place for what they defined to you, what they said the use would be. Well, now the use has potentially changed forever. There may be more and more people working from home. So what steps are you suggesting that your clients take or future clients as they may come to you to make sure that they not necessarily are ready for the next global pandemic, heaven forbid, but that this is now taught people that they need to be ready for various work interruptions, be it weather-related, be it health-related, et cetera. What are some things you might be suggesting to your clients that they think about as we get up and reopen things, so to speak? The three main things that we need to let people know is, one, you need to be secure temporarily what you're doing might be working okay, but long-term, what security measures are you making with your home network? Are your internet speeds able to catch up with what you need to do and what you want to do? And the third thing is going to be your hardware. What kind of computer are you using? What kind of hardware is inside of that hardware? You know, what kind of cables are you using? Cables make a difference in your speeds. The biggest threat, whether it's a 
employee of a business as a end user or whether it's a home user in a personal environment is email fraudulent links that are spoofed coming from somebody that it's not really coming from. The traps of that malicious malware that's on perfectly good sites, we think, that can be infected with code. We call this drive-by malware. You don't even have to click on the link on that website. You go to some website and there's an animated picture running. Well, that animated picture code is actually downloaded to your computer and processed there. And if that code contains malware, you just did a drive-by and picked up some malware on your computer. So now you need a good antivirus. Trusting SSL certificates when you go to websites like your banking, things like that. You know, there's an education involved in there. What's okay and what's not and when to trust and when not to trust. If nothing else, do not save your banking, financial, medical, personal passwords in your web browser. It takes about 10 seconds to write a script to pull that whole file off of your web browser. And I've got your username and your password and the website it goes to. Don't do it. Quite frankly, a posted on your monitor at your house is more secure. Jim Allen and Chuck Rowe of ACES, online at acesiowa.com. We spoke on Thursday afternoon via Zoom as they were each working from their respective homes. Still to come, adapting the learning process and adapting to how people use your product. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Earlier this year on this program, we introduced you to the Waterloo Career Center, a unique partnership between area businesses and the Waterloo Community School District. At the core of the Career Center is the chance for hands-on learning and practicums in the workplace. But once schools stopped meeting in person two months ago, changes had to be made. Dr. Jane Lindemann, superintendent of the Waterloo Schools, told us about the Career Center earlier. We connected again recently for this update. As we know, the colleges have continued on with their coursework and, and we're, so the students are all continuing on. With the hands-on learning style that happens at the Career Center, it has presented some very unusual challenges to continuing on. For the most part, I would put it in the category of we are doing the very best we can. Students are still logging in, um, not necessarily daily, but multiple times a week. And then they are having some things that they are doing on their own. We are using a lot of virtual simulations. So it's not as good as actually having the students do the lab work, the actual applications, but they are doing, they're using virtual to the very best of their abilities. Now, there are a couple courses that we were not able to continue. So they are under what I would consider a plan B. A couple examples of that, there are some that you actually have to test out of because they are so hands-on. So the CNA, the Certified Nurse Assistant, would be one of those examples that is actually on hold right now. Another one, we have some plumbing and electrical courses that students actually have to test out. So those are not able to continue, but for everything else, we're doing the very best we can using virtual applications to the extent possible. 
And it's not like a college course where you can drop the college course. I mean, these kids have a, a certain number of requirements for graduation. So that poses some challenges for a senior, certainly. Yeah, it really does. That being said, there is a little bit of wiggle room that has been offered. So to some extent, first of all, students, if they absolutely were not able to continue, which was never our first pick, but if that did happen, they did extend the date um, during which they could do a withdrawal. And so some kids did do that. Not many, but some did. Um, and so for everyone else, we are continuing as best we can. The parameters that were put in place by the community colleges did allow them to, in some cases, switch it to a pass-fail grading system. And that is dependent on the, the community college with which that class is articulated. So if it's a Hawkeye course, then they have to get a certain percentage and they can take it pass fail. And that varies a little bit by course. And then the third thing that was put in place is there is, in some cases, there is an extended deadline. So we can end the course, but there is a possibility that students could even have into the fall to actually complete the requirements of the course, which gives us some opportunities to be a little more equitable in the way we're doing our work. In essence, it's taking an incomplete. That's how I would analogize it. It's sort of like taking an incomplete, and then there's a date certain by which things have to be done. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So we're trying to push forward the best we can, but we will be counseling students to take an incomplete rather than taking a, a poor grade because these are binding classes. They're binding credits in that they're on their transcripts for ever their college courses. And so it can impact financial aid down the road if students do poorly in a class. So we're, we're having to really personalize our counseling experiences, talking with kids, counseling through what would be the best option for them. Dr. Jane Lindemann of the Waterloo Schools. How the on-site internship process has changed for college students this coming summer is a topic we'll cover in a future program. Up next, an Iowa business that has spanned five generations and spanned changes in how its products are used. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. In this week's business profile, a conversation with David Bywater, president of a trio of family-owned companies in Iowa City. True Art Color Graphics, Economy Advertising, and Bankers Advertising Company. Their history dates back to 1896, and as you can imagine, there have been more than a few changes over that time. I have fun telling our folks uh, to think about the number of different ways that we can communicate today versus how we communicated 30 years ago. And in fact, we've spent some time brainstorming and counting them up. In other words, if you think about different media tools, electronic tools, different ways people engage and so forth. When my dad was enjoying the prime of his career, you had things like the phone book, you had radio advertising, newspaper advertising, and so forth, um, that were pretty straightforward in terms of, of the choices that people had related to marketing their businesses. That's exploded. We still have those avenues, um, but at the same time, we've now added 
social media, we've added lots of electronic communications, things like I'm going to do a blog related to promoting my business and so forth. And it's interesting how you know, different people pay attention to different things. And so I uh, have told people my challenges now include things like how do I convert the text message that I received from a customer into my to-do list when I'm not necessarily a big texter because I didn't grow up in that generation. But at the same time, I have to be engaged with my client that way. It makes it interesting based on all the different ways that people might reach out to me or all the different ways that I feel I should be reaching out to others. I think that's such a good point because your clients expect you to be in tune with every place that they can reach a customer. That makes your job exponentially more difficult, but yet you can't, if you will, bill the client for every little thing on this ever steeper learning curve. That's a, that's a challenge. That's very true. We, we talk to ourselves about how should we be doing business the way the client wants to do business with us as opposed to how we traditionally might have gone to market. And that's probably the biggest struggle in a long time business, let alone a family business, where we think about how we change that go to market strategy. Um, and it really needs to be customer focused, not we've always done it that way. Now, I'm not saying that you know the generations are having that argument necessarily, but at the same time, we do have to stay cognizant of those changes and say, yeah, I really ought to try something new here. It might be a situation where you go to a customer who has done a calendar, for example, every year. They've done it for 50 years. It might be the time that you have to recommend to them that may not be the best place, or because it's heritage, it is the best place. These are all things where they look to you as the professional. But remind people again what Economy Advertising does. So Economy Advertising Company, I argue, is in the physical media business. Through our division, Bankers Advertising Company, and our printing company, True Art, we produce products that we put people's names on in their marketing messages and so forth. Physical branding, if you will. Um, and we've had a long time history of handing those items out. You mentioned the calendar. Uh, we have calendars that we have produced for customers through our plant 60, 70, 80 years and so forth. Our challenge related to that is keeping the calendar relevant and helping our customer achieve the distribution that they really need to have. In other words, in years past, it was pretty easy to put it in the lobby of the bank and say, oh, we're going to put so many of these out here and let somebody come pick up and use them. Our struggle today is, um, or our challenge today, is to help our customer um, not only figure out how to distribute that product, but make sure that it is having the impact that they want it to. And so the great, great thing about the printing industry is we can evolve the product now to include a lot more variable information, a lot more customized information about the client and what they do, instead of five lines of advertising copy that included a phone number and an address. Our challenge is to consistently remind the customer, here's how we can expand the impact of your advertising while reminding them of the value of physical media. Picking the right product is the important thing, thinking about who's going to be using it and how at the end of the day. One of the things we're surprised about, for example, is that we still make a lot of planners for people. And you think, okay, with your phone, why would you ever need a planner? Well. Our research tells us that customers still want to understand the spatial relationship between today and what's on my to-do list and three weeks from now and what I need to get accomplished between now and then. And the visual of looking that at that grid is helpful to them. Okay, So we have a renewed interest in the planner project product um, in a number of different ways um, as customers think, I still need a tool to help me be organized. Now the interesting thing about calendar advertising is that most recipients of one can remember who gave it to them. And so that's half the battle. 
that's that's marketing success right there. And so so we build a product that might cost between two dollars and five dollars, depending on how extensive and, and customized they want it to be. But at the same time, um, we remind our customers of the value of that constant interaction with it. Um, I always have fun at the different meetings that I go to, whether it's the Boy Scouts or my church or what have you, of we have to plan the next event. And I get my paper calendar out and I'm ready to tell them when I'm available and not. And I watch the others fumble with their electronic calendar uh, and so on. And my most fun I have is when someone throws out, I'd like to meet on Monday the 27th of May. And I get the chance to remind them that that's actually Memorial Day, and I probably won't be participating in a meeting on that day. But our friends at Google and other uh, electronic sources don't necessarily program that into your product unless you so choose. So anyway, it's fun to watch and interact that way. The battery never runs out on my paper calendar. And to your point, if I'm carrying that 365 days in a year, that is a daily reminder of who gave it to me, and that is money in the bank, literally, for that customer. Right, and so uh, we have fun, for example, our own, our own bank hands out calendars. We get the privilege of making them, uh, and uh, I remind them that folks will walk in and want that product. We had a conversation with their marketing team a few years ago. They said, we don't want to hand out too many. And I said, why not? Why wouldn't you want anybody who walks in the building to have a reminder of who you are, even if they don't bank with you? because someday they might. We do anticipate that market to continue. Uh, there are segments of it that are shrinking, but there also are segments of it that are growing. The calendar is a great advertising vehicle. Um, we love producing them here in Iowa. David Bywater, president of Bankers Advertising, Economy Advertising, and True Art Color Graphics in Iowa City. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including iHeart, Apple, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.